Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to watch or listen to this. I, over the last few months, we've had people ask me quite a few questions about, hey, should I take the vaccine? Should I not take the vaccine? Should I keep wearing a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Is this the end? Because we see that the government, it, it seems to be overreaching a little bit on some things. And, and people just don't know what to believe. And they've asked, like, is this the end? And I was even accused of taking the mark of the beast because I took the vaccine. Y'all, this isn't the first time that question, is this the end, been asked. The disciples asked Jesus this question. He gave some answers that we're going to be looking at. And so this week in the end, I want to ask a question. Have you ever missed something? And look, sometimes we miss things because we're not paying attention. Have you missed that turn or you forgot to get on the interstate because you zoned out? I've done that last couple of times. I've been on the road and Jenny's like, hey, what are you thinking about? Or maybe you missed that movie, that book, or that show. Have people been talking about it? Or maybe you missed that breaking news because you've been with kids all day or you've been in a skiff and you sort of missed that stuff that's been breaking. But you know, sometimes we, we miss something because we made a mistake. We missed that assignment for our kids because we're juggling hybrid learning. We're juggling being on Zoom and making sure that we're belly button up. You know, no one sees what's going on. And I understand that. We make that mistake. For some of us, man, we really like someone who we were dating, but yet we pushed aside some of the warning signs. And we were willing to look past those issues because we didn't want to be alone. Some of us, man, we've hurried with hiring a contract. We missed, you know, getting another estimate or maybe two or three more estimates. And we for, we never looked to check for those negative reviews. Or maybe we allowed someone to think for us. We allowed someone to form our opinion, whether the news, the social media, friends or family. And they sort of formed our opinion. And we went out and believed something because of that opinion. And we were totally wrong. Guys, the tough part, is admitting that we're wrong. And no one likes to be wrong. It, it dents our pride. Here's the dirty little secret for all of us. You have a human nature. I have a human nature that loves two things, control and power. Admitting wrongdoing is like putting up a fight with our nature. Like what we're going to find that if we are willing to admit, admit this, it will provide us freedom. And so hopefully you're willing to admit, man, you know what? I'm going to get some things wrong. People were wrong and they missed Jesus' first coming. The religious leaders, man, they gave into two things, control and power. They desired control and power more than anything else. I mean, even historical researchers have shown the depth of corruption the religious leaders during Jesus' time. It was crazy. One writing says this, whosoever disobeys the writers talking about the rabbis deserves death. I mean, that's a statement that just lifts the shades of the desire that they have for power and control. And it led to religious, religious coercion and corruption. Now, when Jesus begins to call them out and he says, you guys are just whitewashed tombs. And what he's saying, you guys are clean on the outside, but man, you're dead on the inside. It doesn't follow any of the added rules. Jesus kind of does his own thing, and he offends them. And they begin to get him out of the way. And even with the 
all the Old Testament predictions that he fulfilled, Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders because he fought against their desire for control and power. And these religious leaders, they were political too. You had religion and politics coming together. They were closely tied together. And like it's easy for us to point at them and blame them for putting Jesus to death. But think about it. Just think about it. We have church leaders. We have political leaders. They have a desire for control and power. It's very similar to what Jesus experienced. I mean, how would Jesus be received today if, if he came and he called them out on their thirst for power and control? It probably would end the same way. He would die as a result of a riot stoked by misinformation and the desire for justice. I truly believe that. Now here's the deal. Some missed Jesus' first coming, but no one will miss his second. No one will miss his second. So today what we want to do is we want to look at the promise that Jesus made that he's going to return. And as he talks about his return, his followers from Galilee would have understood the imagery that Jesus uses. Now, Jesus promises a return, and that promise provides us hope. It provides us hope that, man, it's going to be worth the wait. And so let's jump in to where we were last week. Last week, we read that Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, not, he says not one stone will be left on another. If you've ever been there, it has yet to literally happen. You have stones upon stones at the foundation of the Temple Mount. Now, the disciples are like, okay, if this thing's going to be destroyed, that means the end's pretty much going to happen. Like, if Rome destroys that, we're going to go to war. And thankfully, we have the Messiah because they believe that Jesus was this Messiah. He was the promised, perfect king from David's line. And he's going to, if Rome is going to sack the Temple, then Jesus is going to sack Rome, and then he's going to set up another eternal throne in Jerusalem and they're excited about this because they have been chosen to follow him and so they're asking hey what are the signs and so Jesus gives four signs false saviors there's going to be global destruction there's going to be wars and there's going to be persecution and these signs will only intensify and amplify these signs will happen before his return notice what Jesus says he says now concerning the day and the hour no one knows neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Jesus is like, look, no one knows except for the Father. And I'm sure at that moment they're like, hmm, they got this figured out. They think they know what's coming. See, Jesus continues in Matthew. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, They didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flask with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So this is one of the lamps that would have been taken back then. Uh, This was picked up in Jerusalem, and they would have had a flask, and they would have filled this up. Now, in the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, or the bridesmaids, got up and trimmed their lamps. 
The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Well, the wise ones answered, No, if we do that, there's not going to be enough for us and you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves, which meant they had to go into town. And if it was at night, they're going to have to wait a little while until they open back up. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the bridesmaids also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. Now notice what the master says. Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And Jesus ends the teaching this way. Be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. So let's call a timeout. Let's call a timeout. And let's see that his followers, they when they would have heard this, they would have they would have went right to a Galilean wedding ceremony. So Jesus spent most of his time north of Jerusalem in what was called the Galilee. And those in the Galilee, they had their own traditions. They had their own take on Jewish traditions. It's just like people in the north and people in the south. Think of it, um, we have those in the north. They uh, are all about Pepsi, but yet people in the south are all about Coke. Or how people in the north handle funerals are a lot different than how people in the South handle funerals. Um, coming from the North, pre-COVID, I mean, you're spending three days at the funeral home. I mean, there's food at the funeral home. I mean, you guys are sort of like celebrating. But in the South, man, everything's done in like three hours. It's the craziest thing I've ever witnessed. So they just a different take. Just a different take. So in Jesus' time, what families would do is they would live in what was called insulas. Now, insulas were very interesting. They were almost like apartment buildings. And what they would do is you had a house and then you would build on that. You would constantly put additions onto that because you wanted family to live with you. If you've ever been to the Israel, you have Peter's home and the remains of Peter's home. And it's designed this way. We learned from the, from the New Testament that his mother-in-law would live with them. Now, these homes were built around a courtyard for grandparents, siblings, cousins, uncles, and aunts. Now, some of you are thinking that is a terrible idea. I do not want my mother-in-law living with us. I want no one. I want no crazy uncle. But some of those who are a lot younger, maybe kids, you're thinking that's the greatest thing to have cousins around. Well, here's the deal. When someone got married, they would build onto that insula. And so here's how like a ceremony would kind of work in eight steps. One, a guy likes a girl and he wants to marry the girl. And so he goes to his dad who pays to establish a marriage proposal. Step three, that guy, he presents the proposal to the girl and her father. Number four, the girl's father accepts the price the guy is willing to pay to marry his daughter by pouring a glass of wine for the daughter. Now, if she drank the wine, then she accepted the proposal which means they're engaged. Now, some of you guys are thinking, <laughs> there's some guys I do not want my daughter marrying. Now, this is why Paul writes this. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Step five, the groom returns to his village 
and he begins to build onto his father's home. But the bride, what she does is she makes her dress, and then she also makes the dresses for her bridesmaids. Then the groom, he would wait until his father declared the building was ready, and no one knew how long the dad was going to give the thumbs up. You know, he had to give the whole chip gains thumbs up. Then seven, during the wait, the groom would then send the bride gifts just to remind her that he loved her. Now, you know that Jesus does that for you and I. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts. Now eight, once the groom's father said, okay, it's time, the groom would be like, let's go. So he would go at night with his friends. They would blow a trumpet to announce to the bride that he's on his way. And then she would gather her belongings, had enough time to kind of get everything together for their new home. And the bridesmaids would help her with those. And she would end up, because they had no idea, she would actually sleep in her dress. One of the neatest traditions in Galilee. See, you guys remember how we said some missed Jesus' first coming? No one will miss his second. His second is going to be physical and it's going to be public. And so with all of that, let's look at kind of where we are on the timeline with what we just learned. So we have the resurrection, we have the last days, and we have the tribulation. So we're currently in the last days now, the tribulation, and sometime between the start of the tribulation and the return is the rapture. Now look, some say it's before the tribulation, others say it's somewhere in between, and others say it's towards the end. And honestly, I could argue any point. Here's, what's, here's what the most important thing is. And I don't want you to miss this. The most important thing is that we, as the church, are raised with new, perfect bodies to meet our king. Or, the way that Jesus explains it, our groom. Then you have the return. And then you have the millennium. And then you have eternity. So next week, we're going to look at what does it look like when we're raptured and before the return, what does that look like? Now notice how Paul sounds a lot like Jesus. He says, look, we don't want you to be misinformed. Brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Like all of us can relate to this. If you've lost someone, you know how tough it is. Paul is going to explain how we as Christians can have hope when the casket closes, the casket is put in the ground, dirt is filled over the casket. We can leave that site with hope because of the resurrection. Look, every funeral is heartbreaking, but those who die without a relationship with God through Jesus, it's even more heartbreaking because death is final. Now, For if we believe, Paul writes, that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, hey, for we say to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, notice this, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with a trumpet of God. Does that sound a little bit familiar with what Jesus said? And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Encourage each other with these words. The similarities are amazing. Look, But look, those who have died will have their bodies resurrected first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. Now the word and the phrase caught up, what it means is rapture. In the Latin, it's raptizo, where we get the English word rapture. Now look, there's hope because of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus was raised, we will be raised. Because he was raised with a new body, we will be raised with a new body. It's so incredible. Now, Zechariah, years before Jesus' first coming, predicts the Messiah's coming. Now notice, he says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, talking about the Messiah, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. On the day that Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. So Zechariah is predicting Jesus' second coming. When Jesus comes, he's not coming as a baby like he did the first time. He's coming, and when he comes, everyone will know. Paul, he's talking about how we're going to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. So we're not sure the length of time between the rapture and the return, but we know that there are two unique things. You have the rapture and the return. So like, what are we supposed to do with all of this information? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus provides some guidance. Two things. First, Jesus wants us to be prepared because at any time he can return. He wants us to be prepared because at any time he can return. That means that we live with hope that he can return soon, that we could finally see the one we've been waiting on, that we'll be able to be together with those who went on before us. We'll be able to spend forever with him. The other thing is it's really important for us to live in community with others that we're encouraged by other believers. Number two, he says it's important that you pray for his return. Like Jesus modeled prayer for his disciples and part of it went like this. Your kingdom come. Like this might be scary for some of us to pray because like you still want to enjoy some life. Like I remember learning about this pretty young. I wasn't married yet. And I remember like, God, can you like hold off on coming until like I get married? Because I want to do married people stuff. And you might be like that too. It's, But the reason why Jesus wants us to pray that is this. That we are focused and we are centering our attention on the things that are primary, not secondary things that are eternal, not temporary. And we're going to pick it right up there next week as we look at what happens when we are raptured and then we return with Christ. We're going to learn about that next week. But let's pray. God, I know this this can be complicated. I know there's some questions that we still don't know the answers to. But most importantly, you want us to have peace in your plan. And we so, we're so thankful for what we have, what we have recorded that Jesus taught about. Man, we're so thankful for those things. And so, Father, we're asking you to help us to navigate. Things are going to get harder. Things are going to get tougher. Father, give us the peace that we need 
to stay committed to you. Father, we're asking that you increase our faith. You provide us what we need to endure. Father, I'm also praying for those who have so many questions, those who are still investigating Jesus. I ask that you will help them to surrender to you. Father, thank you again for giving us the hope that Jesus is returning. In Jesus' name, amen.